0: Welcome to News Kids. I'm Rose. And I'm Zara. And together we're presenting this weekly podcast about what's going on in our world today. Each week we cover top stories across world news, politics, science, technology, entertainment and arts. This week, we're talking about Jamie's Restaurants, UK Recycling Waste, the European Elections, whether climate change should be taught in schools, fruit picking robots, and crowding on Mount Everest. Hello, this is Zara. This week, the celebrity chef Jamie Oliver's Restaurant Group went into administration. This means that Jamie's restaurant business did not earn enough money to pay the money that it owes and so instead of being run by Jamie Oliver and his team, the decisions about the business will be taken by a person called an administration who has to work with the people. The business owes money, called creditors, to do the best they can to make sure that they are repaid. This is very sad for the people who worked in Jamie Oliver's restaurants because most of the restaurants have now been closed and lots of people have lost their jobs. Jamie Oliver said that he was devastated. Two Jamie's Italian restaurants and Jamie Oliver's diner at Gatwick Airport We'll continue to trade in the short term while administrators decide what to do with the other restaurant. Many other restaurants have been closing recently, about 15 a week according to UK Hospitality. There are thought to be lots of reasons for this. A hospitality expert from the accountancy, Van Ernst & Young, said that restaurants are not making as much profit as before because food costs are higher. The value of the pound has fallen because of Brexit, and that means that when people import things it costs them more. Restaurants also depend a lot on foreign staff who then often pay less than they pay domestic staff and Brexit may make it more difficult for restaurants to hire foreign staff. Lots of restaurants have also been doing badly because eating habits are now shifting and rather than going out for a meal, lots of people like food to be delivered at their home. This has been shown by the increased popularity of companies like Deliveroo, which now operates in more than a hundred towns and cities in the UK. I think it is a shame if restaurants like Jamie's keep closing down, although I do admit that I prefer all ordering things to be delivered to my house. Hi, it's Rose here. The Times newspaper reported this week that plastic waste from the UK that was meant to be recycled was instead found dumped in a jungle in Malaysia. The rubbish pile was discovered by British chef environmental campaigner Hugh Burnley Whittingstall whilst researching for an upcoming television programme. He found plastic bags from UK supermarkets, including Waitrose, Tesco's and Sainsbury's, and countless items of discarded packaging from items bought in UK supermarkets. Most worryingly, he also found council recycling bags from various regions across the UK, which shows that the households that threw away the rubbish believed that it was going to be recycled. So how did it end up dumped in a jungle in Malaysia? UK households and businesses use millions of tons of plastic packaging each year. Whilst much of this can be recycled, the UK is not able to process all of it, so it sends around two-thirds of our plastic packaging waste to other countries who are supposed to recycle it for us. This approach is also taken by other countries such as the US, Japan, Germany and France, who all send large amounts of rubbish overseas for processing. For a long time, China agreed to take in around half of the world's plastic recycling waste. In 2017, they decided they would not take any more. Since then, Malaysia has become one of the biggest importers, which means they bring waste into their country and are supposed to recycle it there. Other Asian countries, including the Philippines, Thailand and Vietnam, have also seen significant increases in the amount of rubbish they receive, which is overwhelming their recycling systems. But Malaysia is not happy about the increase in rubbish it is taking in and is concerned some of it is being imported illegally. They see a lot of rubbish they receive has not been sorted properly so it cannot be recycled at all. The Malaysian Environment Minister U B Yin told journalists that the country would now return shipments of plastic that cannot be recycled to avoid the dumping of waste in Malaysia from the rest of the world. She said Malaysians are forced to suffer poor air quality due to open burning of plastics, which leads to health hazards, polluted rivers, illegal landfills and a host of other related problems. <music> Here's saber talking about the European elections. Voters across the European Union went to the polls this past week to vote for their parties they want to represent them in the European Parliament. The members of this Parliament are known as MEPs and are directly elected by EU citizens. The elections were held between 23rd and 26th May 2019. This was the ninth parliamentary election since the first direct elections in 1979. As of 2018, a total of 751 members of the European Parliament represent more than 512 million people from 28 member states. The United Kingdom wasn't even supposed to be participating in the European elections this year because it was supposed to be out of the EU by now. That hasn't happened yet, obviously, so the UK had to vote after all. The Brexit party were the clear winners and came in first place winning more than 31% of the vote. In second place, gaining 20% of the vote, were the Liberal Democrats, who are very pro-remaining in the EU and supporters of a second referendum. The UK's two main parties, didn't do so well. The Labour Party came third and the Conservatives came in fifth. A clear sign that UK voters are desperate for a change and so the Brexit saga continues. This is Nisaber reporting for News Kids. Hello, this is Zarek. This week there have been calls for the topic of climate change to be taught at school as a separate subject. The Labour Party has said that the children need to learn about the social and economic impact of climate change and be prepared for green jobs in the future. Climate change is already taught in schools as part of geography and chemistry lessons and the government says that the subject is on the curriculum and each school has a choice of how in depth they go into to it in lessons. However, the Labour Party says that if it was in charge, it would make it a core subject because it is so important. What do you think? Would you like to learn about climate change in school as a separate subject? What do you think, Zara? Should climate change be taught in schools? I think not, because then they're making climate change into a subject like maths and English, so we're always going to do it. But then when climate change stops, then we won't really be learning about climate change, would we? It's very important we look after our world. Actually, stop it! If we don't learn about it and find out ways to stop it, Zara. Maybe it is important for children, but I still don't want to learn about it in school. I think I know what you're saying. I'm saying that you like school like it is, and you don't want extra lesson time. You just like the normal lessons, normal activities, and no extra stuff. Yeah, Rose. <laughs> Here's Isabella talking about the world's first raspberry picking robot.
1: Imagine buying raspberries from your local shop and then discovering they were all picked by robots. This sounds like science fiction, but actually it could happen sooner than you think. In fact, this week, the first robot raspberry picker has started working in a greenhouse in the south of england the robot is just under two meters tall it has sensors and 3d cameras that help it to find the berries it also has artificial intelligence this means it has the ability to take in information and make decisions by itself. Without a human giving it instructions, the robot needs to be able to decide whether it has found a raspberry, a leaf, or a twig. For example, when it has found a raspberry, it also has to decide whether the fruit is ready to pick or whether to leave it to ripen. The ripe raspberries are gently pulled off the plant by a gripper. On the end of the robot's arm the robot drops each berry into a tray where the berries are then sorted according to how large they are and how ripe they are. Then they are put into punnets and sent off to the supermarkets. At the moment the robot is quite slow. By next year the robot will have four arms instead of one and it will be much faster. Working at its top speed, each robot will be able to pick more than 25,000 raspberries a day. That is a lot more than the 15,000 berries that a human can pick in a day. The robot has cost around £700,000 to build. So why are farmers investing in robots when they're so expensive? Well, farmers are struggling to find enough people who will pick fruit for them. In the past, farmers have often employed seasonal workers from other countries such as Poland and Romania who come and work for British farmers in the summer. But in these other countries businesses are now doing well and offering better jobs. So the pickers are deciding to stay in their own country. Brexit is also putting many foreign workers off coming to the UK as it will be harder for them to get permission to work here. Once the UK has left the EU does it mean that our farms will be completely run by robots in the future? Well. In time, the robots might learn how to pick other kinds of fruits and vegetables. Other robots are already helping to weed and plant crops and even to milk cows. But humans will still be needing to program the robots and fix them when they go wrong.
0: What do you think about the Raspberry Picking Robots? Well, I think it's an excellent idea, Rose. And and now, technology is all over our world and that's a really good thing. Well, I see what you're saying, but do you know humans are being kind of lazy while making robots do all their jobs, and they're just sitting on the couch and watching like stuff like movies all the time and being very lazy while having like robots do all their jobs and I think humans should pick raspberries instead so they can keep up their energy. well, that's certainly not true because. Humans still do a lot of things that robots cannot do, and I don't want robots to go all over the world. All I am saying is that robots are faster, and they're not exactly like humans, because they never get tired, and and at night they can still pick the, the raspberries because if it's a human picking up the raspberries, they'd be really, really tired and want to go to bed. Well, that is very good point. Well, I think that farmers would be really, really happy, because robots pick 25,000 raspberries a day, and farmers pick 10,000 less than robots a day. So I bet farmers would be really happy about this robot. People are losing their jobs because of this robot picking. Well, I disagree with you again, Rose, because although robots are taking other people's jobs, new jobs are being made. Now I see what you're saying, but still... if someone wanted to be a farmer but they couldn't because of robots, I don't think the robots wouldn't be that good. I think farming is still a, br- a magnificent job for people to get more exercise. But if all the robots are taking over the farm, it would be very unkind for people that want to be a farmer. Here's James talking about crowding on Mount Everest.
2: Photograph taken last week by a mountaineer, Nimal Paja has shown the summit of Mount Everest is not how you might imagine. If you thought the top of the mountain was all snowy and free from people, think again. Mr Paja's photo showed people queuing. They said up to 12 hours to reach the summit. And as the famous British explorer Ben Fogel explains, a queue for the peak of Mount Everest is not like a queue... At the supermarket or a traffic jam on the motorway. It is more like being trapped underwater with just a mouthful of air. To sustain you. That is not a good situation. Indeed, it is very dangerous. Most people can only spend a matter of minutes at the summit without extra oxygen supplies and the area where mountainers have been delayed is known as the death zone. If climbers use up too much of their oxygen waiting in a queue, they do not have enough to make it back down. In May, an estimated record 810 people reached the top, but seven died in just one week. The overcrowding situation has been made worse because there have only been a few days of clear weather, so too many climbers have been trying to reach the top of the mountain at the same time. But other factors are also to blame for the tragedy. It is said that climbing the mountain has become too commercialised and on the Nepal side, the government has not put limits on the numbers who can climb and do not ask for any information on how good the climbers are expert climbers say too many people who are not good enough at climbing are trying to reach the top the government of nepal says it will make changes the government of tibet which is in charge of the other side of the mountain, does limit the numbers climbing and has not had the same problems. It remains to be seen if pressure from climbers will lead to a change in the future. That's all for this week. I really hope you enjoyed our show.
0: Let me know what you think about our news stories. Goodbye from the news kids.